What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Apartment 113 podcast, where we talk with cool folks in the cannabis and psychedelics industry to learn about their projects and celebrate their successes. My name is Rob Sanchez, and this is episode 17. We're joined today by Neca King. Neca is the founder and podcast host of Cash Color Cannabis. He's recently launched a quarterly magazine for Cash Color Cannabis as well, with some exciting plans around the corner. Mecca was inspiring to talk with as Apartment 113 has only just begun its podcasting journey and Cash Color Cannabis is well down that road. With over 300 episodes, you can check it out on cashcolorcannabis.com and look for a potential collaboration in the works, perhaps. Enjoy the show. Mecca, thank you very much for for coming on the show, dude. It's good to talk. No problem. Thank you for having me on, man. It was, it, it's been it's been great, especially since we had a chance to be face to face recently um, while we was in Miami. <laughs> yeah, dude, gotta take advantage of those moments when you can. I feel like so much of the cannabis industry is networked remotely that it's uh, it's it can be kind of rare to get everybody in the same room. Yeah. But yeah, it was a, a great conference down there in the in stormy Benzinga. I think <laughs> I was not expecting that, but again, I should have expected it in Florida, but yeah, it was pouring rain. Yes. And I think it was very, um, it was a different style of conference than what I've attended in the past. I've been to BizCon and some of the like cannabis industry B2B conferences, but you could definitely tell this is where the decision makers and kind of some of the, the capital was at and this one. Yeah. Oh, you could definitely tell the money was in a room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could definitely tell that. Yeah, it seems like the right place to be if your projects are in that phase where you're looking to build teams or looking to find investments and kind of fully enter the cannabis industry, right? Yes, yes, it was a perfect place for that. So, but again, I'm glad I got a chance to meet you face to face. We had a good chance to have a conversation to, to get to warm us up to what we're doing today. Yes, definitely, dude. And uh, I, I walked up on uh, seeing your magazine in the in the booths there in the little vendor bins with cannabis tech and cash color cannabis right on the left. <sighs> That was definitely cool to see um, after seeing you kind moment. of teasing the magazine for so long and kind of building up that story to see the drop, man. That was like the entering the ring, huh? It really was. It was such a surreal moment for myself, too. Just trying to get them down there. I was actually supposed to have even more copies. And then um, my my printer actually had, had, a, had a hold up issue. So I could only get 250 out. I was rushing. I hope it got mailed to the right place. So I was actually the most, that was probably the most nervous I've ever been going to a conference because I never had to fulfill anything other than myself. But yeah, when normally. I finally got there and walked in and saw that, and the, I, I actually went crazy. Like I was like, oh snap, this is real now. Yeah, dude, seeing it on the wall. It's one thing to dream it and another thing for sure to, to see it happening. Absolutely, and, absolutely. And I'm, let's talk about the magazine first I mean, and then dive into the podcast. Um, you had been running Cash Color Cannabis for a few years now. Yeah. Co- heavy kudos there on 
stretching towards your 300th episode around the corner, man. That's that is quite a journey for really a podcast. Is. Really, is yeah. seven years, man. We was doing a, we've been doing a podcast now for seven years. Seven, okay. Yeah, actually, if I would have stayed on the route that we were doing, because we used to do two episodes a night whenever we would do the live shows, and I would do an episode during the week of somebody who was remote, we'd probably be way closer to like four hundred episodes. But I, I took a break after this after we hit our hundredth episode and realized I can't be doing that kind of grind every week. You got to kind of set a, yeah. a little bit better regimen around it, huh? Yeah. Otherwise, you're uh, you're working, man, running and, and interviewing. Yeah, all day, all day, man. But the magazine has been a, a huge help, you know. And um, um, the magazine is now probably the, the the thing that is so much so important to me when it comes to Cash Color Campus brand overall. Um, and I've had the idea actually. The the idea to start my own magazine has been in my heart for a while. Like I'm a journalist, so you know, one of the things I've always wanted to do was have my own magazine one day. It just never really became a thing for me in, in the cannabis space because pop the podcast was so popular, you know, and I had so much fun doing the podcast, but you know, I, 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 I gave you a little inside information while we were in Miami. It was literally an opportunity I have, um, and I won't mention the brand on, on air, but there was an opportunity I had to actually work for a, another magazine, another media outlet in the cannabis space. And this came to me last year. They actually approached me with the opportunity of coming on full time and helping out with everything that was underneath them because they were similar to me. They had a magazine, they had a podcast, website, um, events, things like that. Not to give it away, but (laughs) they came to me and asked me if I wanted to work for them. And I thought it was actually a cool idea. They had a nice little compensation package. I was all in. So we did about um, three weeks back to back of interviews where I had to interview with the recruiter. I had to interview with the vice president of the company. Then I had a big interview with everybody in the editorial room. Oh, wow. From what I, yeah, from what I can gather, every single thing went well. Like, everybody loved me. Everybody was ready to work. I was getting more questions like, so what are we going to do once we once day one hits rather than anything else? You know, I was really preparing myself to have to really transition over into corporate cannabis, like I guess I would have had to call it. Yeah, but yeah. So the questions were sort of as if you already got the role or started Yeah, to it was almost like that. I I already had the job. I was already trying to figure out how I was going to tell everything else around my life from my other job to everything else, how I'm going to have to do this. But um, as time went on, it took another about three weeks after we did our interviews where I was hoping to try to have this news done before um, it was like the second week of September because me and my wife were going to to Jamaica and I kind of wanted to have everything in place before we took this vacation because I'd hate to have to scramble while on vacation. But I didn't get the news yet. I was still kind of nervous. And I remember sitting on the beach. We were in Jamaica. I was in on my, um, um, we were in Montego Bay. And I was sitting on the beach and I was sitting there thinking to myself, you know, ah, I'm, I'm so nervous. I'm really waiting for them to tell me, you know, it's go time so I could get ready to get ready to start pitching these stories. And I thought to myself, you know, the, the, the levels of research you had to do to show who you were as far as a journalist, to show that you had the ability to work with these people, that you have the ability to multitask, that you have the ability to produce a podcast and produce um, um, ish, um, stories for magazines. All those things kind of piled up on me. Like I was really sitting on the beach thinking to myself, if you just did that for a group of people, why wouldn't you do that for yourself? Like it couldn't be that much harder to start your own magazine. Yeah, and when I the, the very next day, again, we're still in Jamaica, the very next day I get an email saying, we decided to go into a different direction. Like, we'd love to still work with you, but we're just not going to do that. So I said, okay, maybe that was the sign <laughs> to, right. to go ahead and start my own thing. So that started off, the idea for the magazine started off in September. So I set a goal to make it quarterly. 
and I planned out my first one that's dropped on the end of January this year. And we spent, I spent the rest of the, the rest of the 2022 planning what 2023 was going to look like, which was going to be us uh, introducing the magazine to Cash Color Cannabis Family. And we did that starting in January. I was, I was excited when we dropped the first one because you talk about nerves. I've never actually put myself in a position of being a publisher of a magazine. I never put myself in a position of being responsible for my own stories in this capacity or even having to do a layout and bring it all home. So this was all right. very new and all very, very um, nerve wracking for me. But So there was still some anxiety around it, even with okay. 200 plus podcast episodes. Uh, very much. It's just a different medium or slightly more focus on the words on those specific words and it's, on the content. It's, it's exactly how you actually said it. It's a different medium. You know, um, people are used to, I guess, consuming consuming stuff differently now. Like most people consume listening or watching. But I came up and I still do. I love magazines. I think it's very important to have something that you read. So yeah, it was very, it was a different animal to put together. And then also you have to, you have, you're trying to find, make sure that the audience that you've cultivated for the last seven years who are now listening and watching are now about to become readers. And luckily for me, they were. Like, I can tell you right now, on our first day, the first day that we went live with the magazine, I told people what the price point was and all that. It was $10. It's $10 an issue. And I looked up by the end of the day, we had so many orders. I was shocked, you know, and, and I had to go fulfill them all. <laughs> but we had so right. many orders. I was blown away. So I had a new problem for you. Yeah, I, I am more pressure now. The pressure on me is fulfilling all these orders and and continuing to drop these on a timely manner. So actually, gearing up for for the the second issue was even more nerve wracking than anything. Because uh, it's, I think we talked about that before too. It's kind of like that treadmill of content production. You set mm -hmm. the pace for yourself, and then before you realize it, you're you're still walking and you got to yeah. keep playing in the future while dropping previous episodes. Exactly. 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 Yeah. It became a different kind of grind. So, um, um, I spent a matter of fact, I spent been spending the last four or five weeks trying to make sure I have a good content calendar together for the podcast, for the magazine, make sure that I'm not running myself ragged, that I'm not, um, pushing myself to, to so many deadlines anymore. Like yeah, the you're wearing movie. all the hats, man. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you, you are, you are editor in chief. You are the main writer. Like you're, you're providing every story that's coming down the pipeline. So I can afford to have a, a staff. So you're putting yourself in a, in a, in a position where yeah, you're, every moment of your day, every minute means something. So you have to make sure that you're making the best of it. Dude. And much easier said than done. You sound like a, you sound like a serial entrepreneur and how you tackle these projects, man. How do you handle the kind of like work life balance or how do you handle your work day with so many avenues or so kind of so many things to be working on at the same time? Oh man. You know, I honestly, I got to credit my wife for that. She, she also is a serial entrepreneur, but she, she works a, a full-time job. And one thing I've watched her do over the last three years, and she's been working for the job that she's working on is how she's had to change her time. And I watch her now with these um, different, different, different time management um, um, apps that she uses, how, the different calendars she has. We actually have a calendar right behind me that she has on the wall dedicated just for us eating. You know what I mean? Like you have to really yeah. schedule your whole entire life. And I started to really take a, a, a cue from her how to schedule out things so you're not burning yourself out. As I just mentioned, I really started getting a grasp of that over the last five, six weeks of how um, you can't run yourself ragged because you are doing a lot of things. Like I still have to do the show every Tuesday. I still have to make sure that this magazine is done by a certain amount of time so I can have it printed out and ready to go. We now have subscribers. You know, I have people yeah, who are, who are yeah. waiting on me to do something. So, so yeah, doing the show with the same level of energy 
Exactly. Bringing that same vibe while you're working up a whole new project with the magazine is definitely a, a, a noble challenge, man. I like that multi-project pursuit and yeah, scheduling the world, man. I think I, I read this book called Indistractable mm. and it talked about how you can't really be distracted unless you know what you should be tracted. Like, what are you tracted to? Like, what are you supposed to do? And yeah. you're not distracted unless you know what you were supposed to be doing that day. So the whole theory in that book is really time box your day, like put everything in there. Like if you're going to relax, if you're spending time with your family, exactly. prepping dinner, make sure you get things that are important to you blocked out so that you spend that time. Every day at 1230, I got it written in my plan to take a nap. <laughs> yeah, dude, got to get this, got to get the essentials done, man. Yeah. Man. <laughs> so from the, from the origin of the, that light bulb moment there on the, the beautiful beach in Jamaica, uh, and getting the magazine going, you said that you spent twenty a little bit of 2022 like prepping and laying the groundwork. Yeah. Was there a lot of research and learning there or was it more content generation? Oh, it was a lot of research because it's, the content part isn't hard. Like I, I hate to be that person, but if you're a writer, you're a creator, it's not, that's not the hardest part. The hardest part was finding out who would be a reputable printer, who's somebody who I could trust to lay out this magazine. Um, I'm, I'm blessed to be able to have a circle of friends who are all writers, like who of them, some of them are, are editors in positions of, of at other at other publications. Which one of these people would have time to be my editor? You know what I mean? And if I if not, I got to find somebody who I can trust to really edit my words. Those are the real issues right there. On top of trying to make sure you know when it comes to shipping out that you you're you're, you're, you're weighing everything out correctly, you're um, getting the right postage. Little things like that became the big thing to the point where. It, it it's definitely it definitely um, outweighs the writing part because the writing part I could do it I literally can I could do these stories in a day as long as I have all my material together. But as long as you have a time thing, to relax and dig into the words, huh? No, the other yeah. <laughs> thing that's the thing that piles onto you because I I tell you right now even just finding somebody to do the layout that was a three week process in itself and even now that I found somebody who I've found consistently to do it for the last two issues. I'm still looking around for somebody else. Like maybe you, there's somebody else who could be a tad bit better, maybe a better price point, something like that. So right. I became that guy. You're looking at price points now, and who could turn who could turn things around at a, at a normal who could turn things around in an ETA that I need. You know, uh, that became the more pressure for me, in more than um, way more than dr drilling out the content. Yeah, setting those deadlines and trying mm -hmm. to trying to get the logistics of of the business going. Yeah, yeah it's um, it's funny and maybe unfortunate how fast a vision can go from being fun. This is the vision. Let's yeah. like invent and plan and, and think to being like, oh man, the rubber needs to hit the road. I got to fill out this paperwork. I've got to set up this account. There's always um, some red tape behind every dream, man, but it's good to cut through it, dude. It sounds like you guys are making great progress and um, making good pace for quarter three's issue. Uh, yes, is that have a release date yet? We are, we are. We actually, it's going to be the, um, oh man, let me pull up my calendar because it's going to be the <laughs> first week of the, of, the, um, of the third quarter. Actually, that Friday we're dropping it. Oh, okay. And I'm, 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 I don't want to give away too much, but we actually have some amazing stories for this one. And I'm, I'm very, 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 very excited to roll this out. This will be the first one where we're actually going to, um, we're actually going to shoot the cover tonight and I'm still going to get somebody to animate it, but, and, and, but I'm going to actually shoot the cover tonight. So that's the first time we're actually shooting our own cover. 
Um, and it's also the first time that we're rolling out advertisers who are not Atlantibus clothing or cash color cannabis. So we actually have advertisers this round. So I'm very much ready to knock out this episode, this this issue. Very, I'm actually so far ahead of it. I actually thought to myself today, don't oh don't um don't 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 hit cruise control just yet, just because you feel like you're this far ahead. Like still, you know, <laughs> be aware that all kind of bumps could come up in this road. Keeping some tabs on it. Yeah, expanding yep. the advertising is awesome too. That's a big step there. And yeah. Is is the Atlantibus clothing brand uh, part of Cash Color Cannabis or partnered with? It's partnered. Like it's still something I do. It's something that actually came up to me one day. Um, this is about oh geez, now it's about four years ago when I was at the doing the show, and um, I we we have a live show here that we do in Atlanta um, at Live Hip Hop Daily Studios, and I'll invite people out to come out to come watch the show, come um, have a safe place that they want to sesh and just kind of enjoy themselves. So oh cool, just to chill people- and. Yeah, whenever people come out, you know, it would just be always a dope scene. And I used to laugh and say that this is almost like a private community within Atlanta called Atlantavis. Like we are, we're our own secret neighborhood. And I started using the name enough to a point where I said, you know, I should throw that on a t-shirt. And when we started doing it, people loved them. You know what I mean? So I said, all right, well, this might be a good, end of this month. not even a good revenue generator. It's definitely a great one. But it's also something to keep the creativity going. So we dropped our Atlantibus signature collection. We also have our drug lord collection. If you've ever been on our website where we reimagine what a drug lord is. So we have um, images of Ronald Reagan, George Bush, and Oliver North, and we have them as drug lords. You know, we often get in a mix of thinking of people like Big Meech and thinking of people like um, Freeway Ricky Ross and so many other people as being drug lords because of everything they were tasked with doing and all right. the, the money they amassed. And it's, it's true, they definitely were. But when you think about it, if y'all were multimillionaires, then who are the people who actually brought it in? How much did they make? And then you start thinking to yourself, we got get, we got move up levels here. So yeah, Ronald Reagan would be a drug lord to, <laughs> to, to me. Yeah, that Ronald Reagan logo you guys have, he's giving the thumbs up, dude. <laughs> That's pretty great, man. I, I love d- that. Definitely like the angle there. It's very cool to see that the how the clothing brand kind of evolved from the podcast. If yeah. we step way back now, seven years ago, when was that Jamaica moment or that light bulb for the podcast? Or when were you like dead set on, you know, starting up cash colored cannabis? Was there a particular experience or oh, yes. some individuals that really motivated you on that front? Yes, it was actually. It was actually, um, um, well, yeah, going all the way back, the, th- the concept of Cash Color Cannabis came because I was trying to work on a documentary called The Color Green Cash Color Cannabis, which would be about the lack of um, 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 black faces, black and brown faces in the cannabis community. This was in 2016 we came up with this idea. Wow. And the more yeah. I think about it, it's such a great idea, but it also it goes back to time management and so many other things that I wasn't fully preparing my mind for when it comes to doing a documentary. But we did a little. We did a lot of filming. We went around the country. Matter of fact, me and my um, cameraman, we went to um, Denver, New York. We covered a lot of things. Oh, and cool! By the That's time cool. it got to the point where I, I really was ready to get it edited, which, which what I thought was edited. You start looking at the, the footage, you realize you don't have anywhere close to enough to make a documentary. But I was also in the mix of taking interviews now because people were interested in talking about this. So I'm doing all these interviews about the documentary, even though what I knew in my mind, I didn't know if I had enough to even finish it. But um. One day I'm doing an interview and I'm doing an interview with um, a good friend. As a matter of fact, he's a good friend of mine now, my man, um, um, Justin Good. He had a podcast called Good Hennessy that was going on at the sh- at the studio I now currently record at, Live Hip Hop Daily. And Good asked me, he said, hey, can you mind coming down on the show? I see you doing a documentary and come talk to us on the, on, on the podcast I got. 
And I remember saying to myself, I remember asking him, I said, so what is a podcast? And he said, <laughs> and he explains to me what a podcast, this is literally 2016. He explains to me what a podcast is. And I say, well, why don't y'all just call it an online radio show? Like, that's what we used to call it back then. Like, why don't you do that? <laughs> and he said, well, I don't know, man. We just call it podcast. So Just I came come down. <laughs> yeah, I just came down to his show. And we talked and it was a great conversation. But the thing that really smacked me was not only was this a good conversation, but the venue, the venue itself, Live Hip Hop Daily. Like, I wish you could come to Atlanta so you could see it. The, the studio itself, it, 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 the minute you walk in, you can feel the creativity. You can feel the, 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 you can feel something going on. Good vibes and, across yeah, the board. Huh? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And when I got done with the interview, um, I remember asking the owner of Life Bob Daily, who's my show producer now, his name is Herb. I said, Herb, you know, um, I would love to be able to have a podcast where I talk about what I'm doing now with the documentary. I said, I think it's something that could possibly help us get more ideas for the documentary, drum up money, things like that. So he said, cool. He said, um, the only day we have available is Tuesday at nine o'clock. If you can make that work, you got it. So that started in December 16, 2016. We started our first, first episode of Cash Color Cannabis, and we've been rolling ever since. And we've had everybody, such as Freeway Ricky Ross. He's been on the show. Um, Kwanzaa Hall, who is... Actually, Kwanzaa, what is your role now? At one point, he was a House representative. I don't know where Kwanzaa is right now. like, But Kwanzaa's still, still definitely a politician still. Kwanzaa was on the show. Uh, we've had amazing people come through and be guests. Shout out to the Weed Bar. I see the Weed Bar doing big things in Detroit. They were our 100th episode guests. Um, but yeah, we've had amazing people come through and help, help us elevate this conversation that we love having and help us really put a, a, a voice behind cannabis that maybe you would have never necessarily seen you know, or never necessarily heard of. Totally, so, man. Yeah, that especially was my, then. That was my Jamaica moment, going down there and doing a good Hennessy <laughs> podcast and asking a million questions such as, what is a podcast and why would this even be relevant to the world? Right, man. We're going to have to dub that as a as a real thing, man. Jamaica moments. You know, when, you, when you come you come to those realizations, suddenly all the things fall in place. You're sitting in Jamaica with a drink in your hand and a joint in the other. You're saying to yourself, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. Hey, sometimes you just need to relax for those ideas to exactly. kind of present themselves too. That's a interesting thing with creativity. When you try to set everything aside, suddenly there's this idea screaming at you. It's, oh, didn't see that before with all the chaos and everything else. Totally agree. Totally agree. So kind of one thing after the next, then it started as really your inter interviews for the documentary and then just continued to evolve, man. You've got a, a wonderful guest list, like scrolling through the past <laughs> history of Cash Color Cannabis is amazing to see the voices that, that you've brought, you know, onto the stage and, you know, the projects that you've shined a light on. I think that's definitely a, uh, you know, a wonderful effort for the you know, black, brown communities for maybe underrepresented communities in cannabis as uh, it's something that was, it's pretty seriously impacted the industry from its early days yes. as uh, the big MSOs and corporations, people getting involved, they didn't turn too heavily back into the communities that were underground, man, uh, for lack of better words, that were, that were part of the part of the scene or perhaps being impacted by the laws. There's a lot of um, a lot of awareness, I think, that that could be brought there and, you know, bringing and building that stage, man, you can see just how much of the community is involved and how important it is to people. I think that uh, it's it's been really empowering to listen to the, some of the stories on the episodes and kind of hear the journeys from all the folks you brought on. Thank you. You're right, though. It's very important. And I realize this, too, and it becomes um, another I don't want to say burden, but it becomes def definitely something that I hold every day. This is an important conversation for people. And, and, and you then and, and you start realizing how not how 
we don't necessarily have these kind of conversations within our communities or we're not have we're not allowed to have these kind of conversations in our communities. You know, when I first started the podcast, one of the things that people would ask me a lot was, are you scared to do this? And I would be like, what do you mean, are you scared to do this? Like, are, they, they're like, yo, are you scared to be having these kind of conversations? Are you nervous that the police going to come knock you down and come arrest you? And I remember the fir- my first rebuttal would be um, high times. I was like, high times have been around longer than I've been on earth. And I don't know if they've ever been worried about somebody breaking indoors because of what they're doing with freedom of speech. I'm not selling weed. Right. On the media front and on the yeah. freedom of speech side, it's the, the door's open already. But yeah, yeah it's... The door's been open. The door's been open. So um, I realized then again, yeah, it's a very important conversation because we're used to having these conversations on our porches or in our living rooms, not necessarily in a studio setting out loud with cameras blaring. So, um, (laughs) yeah, it's dope to be able to bring that forth for for people. And also now, like I say, it's kind of something that's on my head every single day when I sit down to now do the magazine or I sit down to do the podcast that you have to remember that this is for people who don't get a chance to necessarily tell their story or ever hear their story. So make sure you're putting hundred yeah. percent into it. This is, this is bigger than just you smoking a joint on, on air. This is people who don't have a chance to ever hear these kind of conversations. So make right. sure sharing something they're passionate about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally, man. Yeah. And I think on the, I mean, on the diversity side for the cannabis industry, there's still so much that can be done for like social equity licenses and for making it, easier to get involved. You know, some states, I live in Nevada right now, and it is not easy to get licensed. You're going to need a significant investment. So seeing how other states are doing like micro business lotteries and social equity programs are, are pretty great. Um, I mean, on that front, I, I'm half El Salvadoran. That's where my dad is from. And I have not met another Salvadoran in the cannabis industry. So it's kind of a, it's kind of wild to, uh, to, to have that experience and not know like other leaders or other people working in the industry that are even from the same country. So, I mean, I've just found solace in the podcast to hear, uh, you know, unique voices and like the diverse perspectives there. I think it's, um, it's excellent, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. I, I, I do it for that reason. Like if, again, this is seven years now and, and I know me as a creative, I would have got tired of doing this after year two if I didn't understand the importance <laughs> of why we need to have these conversations. So oh, I do so, understand. Right. So some of that passion like helped to fuel your uh, like your progress or keep you motivated there throughout the years. Oh yeah. Yes. Again, it's, it's not, a, it's, my, it's my passion to keep these conversations going and also understanding that these conversations honestly need to be had. You know, I really had that under, I really had that. I guess it was another Jamaica moment in Miami when people are walking up to me with the magazine and saying, Yo, so this is real now. And I was like, yeah, and flipping through the pages, seeing Chanel Lindsay grab the copy and go to her page, like stuff like that is like, yeah, okay, so uh, people get it. Like this is, uh, you need to continue to bring this level of quality and this level of um, of dopeness to more, to more people. They get it, yo. And remember that this is what they want to keep seeing. They want to see themselves in print and media telling a story. Like I felt like for the longest, especially being in this space for as long as I have covering it, that I feel like we on repeat keep talking to the same people. Like it's almost like you're not even allowing other conversations to come in. We're always talking about who was the first this, who was the first that. And I'm like, you know, there's been second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth since this time. Like we can keep this conversation going without having to pinpoint, without having to pin down the same five people. Right, right. And those sixth, seventh people, man, they're learning from the from yes. all of the mistakes that the first seven made. And oftentimes they're doing something, you know, on a different level or they've, they've changed their approach. I think that's, 
that is a little bit prevalent with, uh, and nothing against Wana Brands, but we see the CEO of Wana Brands on many interviews, on constant reports. Um, I when I was at Akerna, the the Akerna CEO was constantly brought into those things as well. That it's important to hear their perspectives. Obviously, they're they're major leaders, and they're they're working their asses off for the cannabis industry. You can't argue with that. But the fact that there are so many other folks working to the same caliber uh, that don't get the stage, I think is important. Um, I started as a cannabis cultivator in Denver, creating hash and working in the garden, and then fell back on my college work, which was with software and IT. So for a little while, I was actually out of the cannabis industry, building software for just random things. But since then, I've been doing cannabis software since about 2017. And it does feel sometimes that ancillary services and folks who are helping the cannabis industry but aren't actually cultivating are, can be forgotten about uh, in, in, the, in, in the grand scheme of things because there's just more allure. It's sexier to own the business and grow the cannabis than it is to you know, provide good compliant inventory management or to, <laughs> to make soil or pots and things like that. But there really are folks of every industry that are kind of moving and shaking to keep cannabis going. Exactly. Especially in cannabis, like all those things that you just mentioned and more, those are the things that keep everything going. It's not just simply, I have a dispensary. Let's talk about this person all day. Like, let's talk about from the packaging, the marketing, the who's doing the real estate. Like there's, there's, there should be people that you should be able to speak to on so many different levels. So again, it goes back to, I wouldn't, I'm glad I'm able to give a platform to show that there's more than five people here, you know, there's definitely <laughs> yeah. more, more, there's definitely room to have conversations. There's definitely room to have these, um, to spotlight other people. No, and this is no knock on other, on the five people, but there's definitely room to have these conversations. Yes. Yeah. That's, and that's where all these, these online radio shows come in, man. Yeah. How's the, uh, how's the Georgia cannabis industry? They're medical. There, there's a few medical dispensaries in the state, or is yeah, it yeah, this still happened. very early? And in this the... literally happened. Was it? Um, I believe now, maybe about two weeks ago, we just got our first dis actual, phys actual physical brick and mortar shops. Like this just happened. But when oh, I say okay. that this has been a, this has been ongoing for seven years, like this is just this almost has been going on as long as I've been doing the podcast. How to how to actually roll out this program. And they did, there was a little bit of blame to COVID as to why they didn't have their licenses and everything ready at that second, but- Kind of I slowed down. Yeah, yeah. There, was a sl there was a slowdown. And then there was also, you know, uproar over who got the licenses. You know, True Leaf is one of the stores down here and they're, they're not the most oh. popular brand right now currently, you know? And yeah, I feel like yeah. they do a pretty good job of ducking that conversation, but they're not the most popular brand right now. But they have a store. They have a license. They have a store here. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, they were one of the first stores that people were lining up to. And I remember seeing the pictures like, I don't know. I hope this state, this this doesn't go left <laughs> on everybody. <laughs> they're the very first store. I hope this doesn't go left. But um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of steering, program, steering everyone astray. <laughs> yeah. Our program has been slow rolled out. It's, it's strictly medical and um, they it's low THC oil. So it's no flour, no anything like that. So oh, yeah, we're okay. we're, slow, okay. we're still slow rolling that point currently, yeah. but we haven't even got to the flower conversation just yet. So most of the right. patients who do have access, who do have cars, they're more happy they now have access to get something in the state. You know, prior to this, if you had a medical a Georgia medical card, it was almost creative. like having monopoly money. You know, <laughs> like like what, <laughs> what do I do with this? Oh, so it was like, hey, we'll give you this, but you know, there's nowhere to nowhere use at all. It. Can't do this uh, at all. You can't even. I'm not even sure if you can use this in another state, but you have one. 
Yeah, that's definitely a consolation prize there. I think we'd probably expect the Georgia to roll things slowly. Um, I grew up in Kansas, and Kansas hasn't even started rolling anything. So some states are going to take their time, I feel. It's um, probably necessary. Uh, not all the population's ready for it, but you know, every state has folks that do need that access, that they need the therapeutic benefits. Yes. Um, and so that's really great to see that at least the many states are starting the medical programs and helping people find that kind of that solace that they need. I've, uh, I've heard a lot of anecdotes from older folks that have tried cannabis that have like wonderful experience with like arthritis and pain and just, you know, things that they may have been managing pharmaceutically before that, that can be um, much more naturally handled. On the podcast front and kind of for cash color cannabis in general, how do you maintain that constant flow of wonderful guests and projects? Do you have a pipeline of um, you know folks you're considering? Do you hit the ground and and network yourself, or do they are they starting to come to you now? No, I still hit the ground and network myself. Like I do have a good pipeline of people I would love to have on, but the the one issue I do run into being in Atlanta, and that's like, it's a, it's a good issue. A lot of people like to visit Atlanta. They don't never visit Atlanta on a Tuesday. You know, so, so some of the people I would love to have on the show, they'll be in the city, but it won't be till like Friday or Saturday and they'll be leaving out on a Monday. So I often have to make sure that I know what's going on on a local level so we can make sure we can keep that kind of content going every single Tuesday. And we do have a blessing. We do have the chance to actually have some national names on. Um, my friend Tucky Blunt, who's out of Oakland, Tucky flew down to come do the show. We've actually had a couple of people fly in to do the show. Uh, shout out to my man, Antoine Mordecai, who's um, with M for MM in Alabama. He has a he has a license to grow. Man, look, I love everything that Antoine does. But Antoine came, through the, came to the city to come do the podcast. We do have a great pipeline of folks, but it comes back to the networking. I have to keep my feet on the ground to know who's, what's going on locally all the time in order just to keep the show going on, on a certain level. Right, right. Man, there's so much, um, so much other work outside of just churning out consistent episodes. Yeah. I think that's something I'm just, I'm just learning here now, like 14 episodes into Apartment 113. You know, we've got the pipeline going with a few folks we're planning. And I'm ha I've had to start hitting LinkedIn, hitting my business cards, <laughs> you know, looking for potential guests and things like that. So it's a, it's a grind for sure. But I've really enjoyed having the conversation. I think the podcast form helps that um, helps the mask of like society and work life kind of fall away. And I've noticed, you know, talking with people that after 10, 20, 30 minutes, like really starts to feel more comfortable. And it seems like, oh, wow, you're really like opening up. I can understand more about you, you know, or your, your initiatives, your passion in cannabis, where in the beginning it always starts like, okay, the business, the, the company kind of what we're doing uh, the podcast format really helps that mask fall and you know build some deeper conversations really does it really does it helps you go right it, like you mentioned it helps you go past the so i created this brand and this is what we do and this is why it's amazing you get to kind of learn you, you after a while you get to learn who this person is and you get to learn a lot about the, the person behind the brand which is which is way more important than just learning about your products yeah. Yeah, man. I actually discovered podcasts when I was cultivating and I was pulling like 14, 16 hour days in the grow just alone. You know, you can only listen to like music so long before it starts getting, getting kind of crazy. So the podcasts were like inviting people in to the grow basically and saying like, all right, like let's chill with these guys now. And since then, man, I've been, uh, I've been on the podcast grind really hard as far as listening, man. I love to always have something playing and, uh, Lately, I've been 
speeding them up though to play even more, which is these apps allow you to speed the podcast up to like 1.5 speed, you know, 1.6. Oh yeah, which, yeah uh, Spotify does that too, doesn't it? Don't they yeah. ever speed it up? That just blows me away how the human ear can still decipher that language at such a such a rapid pace. We are adaptable. We are adaptable <laughs> animals, man. <laughs> yeah, I will say after listening to Cash Killer Cannabis at a 1.5 speed, this sounds a little bit slower. So maybe we need to, <laughs> we'll need to ramp it up. It's funny that uh, it's funny that you get that used to. I'm gonna talk about that tonight. How, how, <laughs> what speed do y'all listen to the podcast on? I'm just just curious. <laughs> yeah. If you really want to get stoned, you could listen at you know 0. 0.6. Slow it way down. <laughs> really? It's almost like, so your DJ's screwing it? Like, I, I, yeah. I definitely want to have this conversation. <laughs> How many people are screwing and chopping our podcast? Right, right. Hey, everyone's a DJ, man, in their, in their pocket there. <laughs> and on, on one of your last episodes, you mentioned that you were on a cannabis fast for a little while. How did that, how'd that process go for you? Or kind of what, was, what were your goals with the fast? The the goal of my the fast was and on this shout out to my man Mike with our um, cannabis media collective it was his idea so we he came on the well he, prior to him coming on the show he had came by the show and he's a, an amazing consumer um, I don't want to talk about he does have his own plans occasionally but man he can smoke he's been to the studio plenty of times and one day he came to the studio and said you know um, I'm about to do this fast you know so I was like what you talking about he said I'm gonna take a thirty day cleanse. Um, he explained to us the importance of why we need to do this from time to time. You know, just take a, like a little break to reset your body and everything. Right. So I told him because we, matter of fact, right before that conversation, me and him was were doing an episode of the podcast, and I said that's what we're gonna call the podcast. We're gonna call it a thirty day run, and I'm gonna join in with you. And he did his thirty days, and um, honestly, it took me. 90 days to do 30 days. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> like Michael tell you, I kept chronicling my 30 days. He was asked me one day, he goes, so how's it going? I say, I got to day at 19 and I'm just going to start all over again. He said, well, at least you try. And I said, bro, I'm going to try until I get this 30 days. And unfortunately for me, my 30th day came at April, it came April. I mean, yeah, it was April 20th of last year. That was oh, officially man. the 30th day, the last day. And I told myself, I'm going to give myself one more day. So on April, on April, on uh, 420, I did nothing. And I was upset about it. There were so many events going on in the city. like, And I, I steered clear. I was almost like, um, if you've ever seen the SpongeBob meme, where I'm sitting up there, I'm sitting up and I'm looking down at all my friends having the best party of their life. And I'm saying to myself, I just got another couple hours. <laughs> I'll just be sober for a little while longer. Yep, just but... <laughs> be sober for a little while longer. But it, yeah, it did. I yeah. went on a fast and it was good. It, it definitely was something that... um. I like showing myself that I can do things like, you know what I mean? Like every once in a while, I like to pull out the card that if I didn't want to smoke, I could, you know, I've had this conversation with somebody and they'd be always laughing, but no, and I could prove it. I've done it. It took me yeah, 90 days. Yeah, now it's like, Hey man, I really did kick it I, a little it bit. It took me yeah. 90 days, but it, it, I consistently put together 30 days, at least one month, one of those months. Right. I'd say, I think the longest fast I've had was maybe in 2017 or so I went almost 180 days. Wow. And I was really like trying a bunch of different things. I was microdosing a little bit with psilocybin and like just exploring some like different projects. But I, since then I've found more of a home with moderation and instead of abstaining completely, it's more trying to push off the consumption until I get, try to get everything done. Right. Or like feel satisfied with the day and then relax. Cause I gotta, I love to smoke as much as the next guy. And if I start in the morning, I'll be chiefing all day and, uh, <laughs> I still get things done, but 
maybe not as much or maybe not to the same caliber. That's something that I learned myself, that I, I learned what kind of consumer I am, that actually I'm somebody who is a micro doser when it comes to weed. Like, I don't need to face a whole blunt. I don't need to put an eighth in a backwood. Like, I could really hit this a couple times in the morning, put it out and literally come back home and then finish. You know, that's I've I realized I that see, part yeah. about it. Right. And no need to burn that down to the, no. to the roach. Just take a few puffs and be good to go or have a little dab. Do you have a consumption preference on your side? I do. I like, I'm, I'm more of a paper, um, paper and, and tobacco person. I'm trying to get into, um, using a bong a little bit more. Like I'm trying to think of little cleaner, cleaner ways to consume because I, I am trying yeah. to steer away from tobacco totally. So I've been trying to look at a little cleaner ways to do it. So thank you all to all the paper brands who have been um, supplying my paper needs. I appreciate y'all. <laughs> Keep and I going. do have a dope yeah. bong here. I have a Keith Herring bong that I've never used. And I'm planning on breaking that out shortly and see how this how this whole bong life works. Dude, nice, man. Does it have the ice catchers on it? Yes, it do. Hey, it do? that's... There you go. And, drop that temperature down. That's awesome. And I love the fact that it's Keith Herring. Like the, the, the main reason yeah. I haven't touched it is because it, it's, it's from his Keith Herring Foundation. It has artwork on it. It's 100 percent legit, like some work that came from his from his from his family. And I'm wow. like, I don't even want to touch this. You know, they, it was given to me as a gift, and I, I was like, I don't even want to touch this. But take like one hit and hit this, the isopropyl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just clean it up constantly, man. I'll never forget. I had a nice, a very nice Roar bong. That brand is like R O O R. Mm-hmm. It makes some really thick glass, uh, like classic beaker tubes, kind of like the Keith Herring's. Herring's. Um, I had ice catchers in it, and I'm sitting there putting the ice in the top. And you know, sometimes it doesn't quite fit, and so you got to give it a little, like, just a little love tap. So I, I was in the process there, and I just, I was just talking to someone else, and just kind of hit the ice and. I heard it before I saw it, man, a crack. And oh. it just didn't sound right. And I looked at the bong and I saw this like slow hairline crack go down all the way, all the way to the beaker. And then the beaker just kind of popped and just water all over the counter. It was a slow motion disaster there with the bong. It sounds like a, it sounds like a bug bunny cartoon. Like you, you yeah, slowly yeah. Break, break down. I think the only worst one happened was a cousin of mine was had an ash catcher and a bunch of additional fixings up on top of the bong to like further filter and, you know, just get deeper into the, the bongy goodness. It was sitting on the floor and he went to pick it up and the coffee table was closer than he expected. And he just sheared off like the, all the extra things, everything else except for the bong. (laughs) There's a, there's a lot that have uh, a lot of fatalities. I was a bong only smoker for many, many years. Uh, but since then, I've really switched to, to rolling joints since I got involved with the Ganjier program. They talk a lot about how um, smoking a joint or a hand-rolled joint, you get the flower at different heat levels. So it's burning at the very end, but then you, you're getting actually some vaporized flower as well from pulling that heat through the, through the joint. Mm. So they're saying that it's a very um, comprehensive or kind of all-inclusive way to experience that flower or to experience the product. And... Since then, you know, hand rolling, uh, once you master that, I think that's always, it just becomes part of the routine, man. It's yes. like a little bit of origami, kind of get your mind straight, focus a little bit and you Are know, you get a it going. Do you vape by any chance? Because I had a chance to use the Da Vinci last year and that, that almost changed my life too. I love that. Yeah, I, uh, the Puffco Peak Pro is really my go-to right now. Um, it's a little, a little dab rig that you can just drop a, 
like a tiny dab in there and hit it at any temperature you want. It's just so easy to clean and um, quick to heat up. Before that, I had the whole butane torch going, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, one thing I haven't gotten into is dabbing, really. Like, I, I, I'm CBD dabbed, and I've, I've actually THC dabbed, too. But when it comes to concentrate, I'd much rather take concentrate and roll it up in a joint. Oh, like, I, break I, it I'd up. I'd much yeah. rather like doing that. Yeah. Yeah, it, get, it gets a better, a little bit better, like, smoother experience. And I think, like, an, your, your approach there is, like, smoother as well. I mean, taking a dab is just, like, you know. Mm-hmm you'll skyrocket right up if you're not if you're not ready for it or if your tolerance is kind of low you're about to get really quiet (laughs) (laughs) that's a good way to put that yeah then i've seen dads just silence silence folks even the talkers in the group (laughs) it's uh there's something about getting a a little too high in public that will uh, bring it bring it inward really quickly (laughs) <laughs> you 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 definitely have some moments, man. Like I don't know if you ever watched Broad City, but I was watching um I was rewatching Broad City a couple of days ago with my wife. And yeah. it was the episode where where um where um I forgot her name, but she wanted to buy her own weed for the first time. And she had this whole freak out moment and she was she she was in the Kinko store and she knocked out the, the 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 mannequin in there. And I've had a moment like that too. So I understand what you're talking about when you get too too high sometimes. I've had a moment like that and I don't want to go back to that moment again. <laughs> yeah, man. He's Nothing you can do with those. You just got to find somewhere to to retire and listen to some nice music for a oh, while. No, no, don't, you don't <laughs> want to be violently high in public when no one else is high with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. You don't know what to do with your hands anymore, right? No, exactly. Exactly. Uh, am I standing okay? It's just Does it's anybody hard to question. Know that I'm high? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those once those questions start spinning, it's a re, it's a spiral there. Mm-hmm. Well, man, are there any other uh, announcements for Cash Color Cannabis coming up? Any any sweet guests in the pipeline or anything cool you're working on? I know uh, you've got the Q3 issue around the corner, keeping you busy. Yes. I, you know, I can tell you a little bit about the Q3 issue because, again, we are shooting the cover tonight. But the cover story is going to be, um, we're gonna, we're gonna, it's about the NBA and how the NBA's new collective bargaining agreement now allows players to consume awesome. and invest and I've, I've had a chance to speak to a couple of um, former NBA players and some um, people who co- currently cover basketball on the media side. And they've all given me their takes on how they feel about the process and what's going on. And I'm really interested in digging into that story because I really feel like, well, for one, from a consumption standpoint, I feel like it's, it's been needed for a while. I mean, I'll, it's, it's almost like I, I grew up playing basketball. I used to write for Slam Magazine. I've very much been around basketball for a while. I know y'all been smoking for a minute. Like it's not, it's not, it's not, it's almost like the, the secret that everybody knew. So I'm yeah, glad you now yeah. we're able to consume. But I think the real game changer is the fact you can invest. Like you understand somebody who has a hundred million dollars who makes this annually, the little bit amount of money that a cannabis brand needs, especially a black or brown owned brand needs to really sustain itself. Um, you could probably dwarf that. And I'm not even talking about like multi millions of dollars. You could really, you could really help create some generational wealth just by having some of these players be able to invest in some of these brands. Yeah, so that's right. what we, that's the story we're trying to we're, we're we're tackling for Q3, and I think that's a very that's good excellent. story to get into right now. Like how some of these players, it should be, it should go past you just being a brand representative of somebody. You should really be looking at how you could honestly help shape this or this this industry moving forward. Yeah, man, and and with those kind of investments, they really are. It's like the foundation of generational wealth, you know, mm-hmm. for folks, if they didn't have it before and then just getting a few hundred thousand. Exactly. Few, and I say that like, it's nothing, man, but I mean, that's a very hard investment to find. And if you're even on a, a decent contract with the NBA, I mean, that's a serious, you could 
consider that seriously without breaking the bank. You know, I really it's, thought it's about it. You know, I, saw, I saw a player who um, plays for Indiana University, um, University of Indiana, excuse me. He's a bench warmer, but he has an NIL deal. And his NIL deal allowed him to be able to pay off his sister's student debts. And she's trying to be a lawyer. So he's able to pay off her student loan. Wow. And yeah. I remember my wife telling me that story. She said, well, he, he just that second created generational wealth. You took off a huge burden off somebody who's now still has the ability to continue to grow their life. And that's how I look at some of these players. $100,000 would help cash color cannabis a lot. Not like I'm pitching myself. Would help cash color cannabis a lot. Pitch away, man. Yeah, but yeah, so many brands are in the same position. Like you really just need, it sounds like a lot. It sounds like a little at the same time. $100,000, $200,000. If you are able to give that to somebody, you literally have the ability to create the generational wealth we talk about when it comes to cannabis. So I think this is a great opportunity for players uh, when it comes to consumption and, their own, and taking the control of their own health and what they want to do when it comes to their own um, bodies and what they want to put in their own bodies, but also how they want to spend their money. Yeah, dude, I'm, that's a, that's a wonderful topic, man. I'm looking forward to reading that issue and seeing, seeing the perspectives on that front as it's going to open so many conversations as other professional sports probably start exactly. looking over the fence, start exactly. trying to, trying so to learn the ways. Williams is yelling at the NFL PA like, yo, what's up? Yeah, <laughs> guys. Calvin, Calvin, Calvin Johnson's over here too. Y'all can put some money in his hands too. Like we're, there's players involved here. So yeah, I think it was a great, it was a great topic to touch on and I'm glad it's, it's very timely. It came, it came around the right time. It's going to, the, the, the NBA's new CBA is going to kick in July 1st. So this is around the time we're dropping this issue. So it's all, it's all on the right time. Definitely. Definitely, man. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for jumping on the show today, dude. Uh, outside of going to cashcolorcannabis.com, where can our listeners find more about you, your projects and the podcast? Oh, please, man. If you want to listen to the podcast, just search Cash Color Campus Podcast, whether you're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, or wherever you stream podcasts. Um, I often Google myself. I don't want to be that guy, but occasionally I'll Google myself just to see where I can find stuff. But yeah, Google Cash Color Campus, all our platforms, everything that you can find us on um, will pop up there. If you want to learn more about myself, just follow me on Instagram or Twitter or any of our social media platforms at Cash Color Cannabis. Um, I post regularly and most time, mo more times than not, I'm posting about myself and what we're doing for the podcast. So you really get a chance to watch how we bring the whole thing together. So please follow us. Please subscribe to the show. Uh, we have a mailing list that you, if you want to join our email list so you can keep up to all of our events every time we're dropping a new issue of the magazine or podcast. Um, you can do that through our Instagram page as well. Just go to our, the link in our bio and click that and you'll be able to join our, our email list. And other than that, man, yeah, just primarily hit the subscribe button on the podcast and drop some comments for us. Help us help us hit those rankings. Right, right. The all important rankings and, and hit AtlantibusClothing.com too. Oh yeah, also how do I forget about that? Hit AtlantibusClothing.com. We literally still have hoodies, t-shirts, everything going out. Uh, matter of fact, we're even offering a special right now that's gonna end on Friday. And that's if you subscribe to Cash Color Cannabis magazine, you'll actually get a free hoodie at the end of the year. So Okay. Hey, awesome, man. Yeah, get dropping those incentives. I'll have to Drop find some Atlantibus apparel over here on my side, dude. I learned from Sports yeah. Illustrated, man. You got to give people something. <laughs> <laughs> Good lesson. Thank you, dude. No problem, Rob. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening to the Apartment 113 podcast. For more information about the show and our range of services, visit apt113.com. We offer cannabis operations consulting, agile product management, and connoisseurship services. With over a decade of experience in the cannabis industry, Apartment 113 is here to help.